This podcast is a Tofop production. Head to tofop.com for more. The following episode of Tofop is rated MA for mature audiences. It may contain sexual references, time travel references, allegations of bin misconduct, and mild coarse language. Tofop advises that this episode is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who thinks a comedy conversation between two old mates sounds like a terrible idea for a show. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax, this is Tofop, I'm Charlie Clawson. Uh, I'm Will Anderson, hello and thank you for watching. Uh, Will, I'm not sure if you have noticed, uh, now that we are doing this podcast uh, with a HD video, I have a tan line, <laughs> have you seen this? This is one of the kind of drawbacks of having long hair. Over the summer, I was wearing my hair down, and so now I have this patch of white skin here. This is good uh, motivation for anyone listening to sign up to our Patreon so you can see the full video of me pointing out where my sexy forehead tan line is. Can you see that, the color difference? Here's uh, what people at home need to know. So this technology we're recording on, uh, you get the perfect HD video, but sometimes because of the nature of us being over the internet, we see each other a little fuzzy. So until you pointed it out, I just assumed it was some weird quirk of the technology that I was just getting some sort of glare off your forehead or something from like the lights. And I was like, that is a weird like effect. It kind of feels like, to be honest, that you've got like a kind of horseshoe shape on your forehead, like that's just sitting there. But I just assumed it was the bad lighting. I didn't realize that this was actually, that came with your skin. Any lighting circumstances that it would be there. I, I only noticed this on Friday. I went for a run and, um, uh, I, I had some time off. I only was in daycare. So I was like, I'm going to go to a cafe. I'm going to bloody spoil myself and actually like eat lunch in a cafe. Walk me through this. So did you run to the cafe? No, no. So I did a, I did the lighthouse run in, uh, in Byron. And so I went up and down there, um, cooled down in the park, stretched, you know, allowed myself to kind of my, my, uh, heart rate to get to a, a more resting level and then went for a bit of a wander through town and thought I will have my i will indulge myself with a lunch in a cafe like a a bloody like a bloody independent adult who doesn't have a kid um and i noticed that people were looking at me strange but i just thought well you know it's it's fine i'm in byron maybe it's the it's because i yeah i'm not alternative enough or maybe because i'm not botoxed enough depending on what side of byron you fall on are you part of the original alternative crew or you part of the byron bay kind of movement i fall on neither side um, but when I went to the bathroom, I looked in the mirror and I realized that even though I'd cooled down, stretched and stuff after my run, that I was quite red faced, but the red had not distributed itself evenly. And that's when I noticed this tan line as well. So I had large <laughs> blotches of red, but kind of ran like a Rorschach <laughs> test of inflammation around my face. <laughs> with a large pale white dot here where the, my tan line is. But the thing is, everyone was polite because, I mean, they were staring, but no one was saying anything because it looked like a pre-existing uh, yeah. skin condition. Like what's that one that Michael Jackson had, the ver- 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 vertigilo or vertiligo or something like that? It, it looked like I had Yeah, ver- I vertigilo, had of course. That thing that everybody <laughs> knows about, vertigilo. <laughs> vertiligo go, go. Um, so yeah, I don't know what I'm meant to do about 
this tan line if I meant to even it out or, or anything like that. But I haven't had long hair for a while. No, I own is- it. I think that should be your signature look. You've been talking about that idea of what's my look? How do I fit in this community? I think top deck head. You know, people can just like go, who's that guy over there whose head looks like a Cadbury top deck? Top deck head. Actually, I love the watches. Sorry, top deck head. Who's that deck head? Did you call me a deck head? No, mate, deck head, like top deck. Deck head. Yeah, they can shorten it to deck head. I like being top deck head. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not against the idea of having a, a signature kind of look. Like there's certain in high, you know how like in high fashion, like generally the fashion industry is pretty terrible for body image for you know men and women and, and forcing them into very narrow kind of fields. But then occasionally there'll be one like tokenistic, you know, runway model who's got some strange kind of like pre-existing condition or abnormal abnormality. It might be minor, like a big gap between the teeth, or it might be like a skin condition or, or something like that. Maybe, I mean, would it be, is it too much of a stretch to think that maybe my fashion career starts now that everyone's like, you know, we've got this new label we want to launch. We want someone different. We want some cut through. We want to say we're independent. Find me a top deck head. Has, is there a top deck head out there that we can get? And then one guy was like, well, I was at a cafe the other day. <laughs> And this blotchy top yeah, deck well, because came in. You are the least um, qualified person, right? Like at the moment, because you're like a white straight man, like a middle-aged yeah. white straight man. Diamond yeah, doesn't. Plenty of them around. They've had it too good for too long. Saturated like, You're just going in. Right. As that, that's not a good hook for you at the moment. But top deckhead, I feel like that's a look. That feels like a fashion yeah. forward look. Like, you know, if you could actually get that to catch on, like if it, on TikTok or whatever, it became a trend of like, oh my God, did you see that guy with the top deck head? Maybe you need yeah. a sponsor sponsorship from Cadbury's top deck, right? You need to get yeah. top deck on board. You maybe get some viral money behind it and you try to make people, maybe you've got to incorporate it with a community. So what's a community? Because that's what you need, right? You need cool culture, like normally representing... leads these sort of things. So yeah. I'm, I'm thinking decks. What subculture? I'm thinking skateboarding. Right, so like you deck, know, you call deck heads, right? Yeah. So deck heads, you could be like, because you call a skateboard a deck, right? Do you? Yeah, I but, mean, I'm but an aren't old man. like I'm speculating. <laughs> do they still call it a deck? I think they do, but is, isn't there also like, aren't there? I'm thinking when we go even more niche. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's like music enthusiasts who are deck heads, like guys who collect tape decks. Oh, so could I be? Like, you know, because uh, that's what fashion's all about. Yeah. They want subculture, subculture. Like, I think skating's a bit mainstream now anyway. Too big. Yeah. But if I was representing, like, you know, they could market me like a uh, like a boy band. You know, they could say, oh, this dude is like, you know, they, I, I'm, compl- it, I'm, I'm backed by, like, big fashion, but they're saying, oh, this guy comes from niche culture. He only listens to music mm-hmm. on tape. He he's doesn't – he's, he's so head, hipster. And his head also looks like a top deck. <laughs> Do you think that would work? Or is it like one of those kind of um, ethical dilemmas like, you know, uh, so I've had this thing occur by accident and it suddenly grants me access to this new world. But this is just a tan line, Will. My skin will eventually even itself out. And then I have to like, I've been pretending this is some kind of like from birth, I I had this this, this condition. Oh, no, no, no. You can't do that. You can't. No, no, no. That's disrespectful. No, you can't be like culturally appropriating people's skin diseases. Like it's disrespectful okay. to people who like, yeah, suffer from skin diseases. No, this is a purely voluntary thing that you're doing here. This is a fashion thing. It's like wearing like a, you know, at the moment like there's bandages that have like under boob or whatever, or wearing a bandaid on your head or like yeah. wearing your headband when you go for a run. This is like a fashion thing, right? 
But I think that we've missed the most obvious one, which is we're thinking fashion. We're thinking breaking into the world of fashion. That's pretty hard. But what Mm. we could break into is that world of sort of angry white men on the internet conspiracy (laughs) left. Because you know how in America, like, fuck you, Biden is now let's go, Brandon, and they've all got, like, T-shirts that say let's go, Brandon, and it's their secret code to say fuck you, Biden. Like, (laughs) the MAGA hats will get you kicked out of a party, right? Like if they were, But if you want to send a signal to someone else at the party that you normally love wearing your MAGA hat and you're one of them, you've got to be a deckhead. That's how you see other people at the party. They're sort of like, you know, red to the sort of halfway through their face and then white for the rest. That makes sense too because it's kind of like you're incorporating like a bit of that red neck imagery, but it's red face, white forehead. And it's and there is a bit of something about having the white on top, like it's sort of like symbolic. Well, I would, I would say let's, let's do it like that. You've got to have your neck sunburned on yeah. the neck so it's extra red. So this is what we've got to lean into. So you get out in the sun, like you've got to encourage, and this is great for us as well, because it feels like we're on the side of these guys. But the other thing is we're encouraging (laughs) a lot of them to get really bad skin cancer. So we're doing our bit for World Peace as well. So we encourage people that if you really love, you know, the alt-right, what you need to start doing is getting this deckhead look where you completely sunburn your face right up to your forehead, and then it's like pure white up there that's the kind of secret signal that like pure white redneck pure white it's funny i was watching this documentary uh, on stan last night um about neo-nazi groups in australia like the rise of neo-nazism mm-hmm. and um uh i think you you, might, you probably remember there was like a investigative piece done by 60 minutes and and uh, the sydney morning herald and and channel mm-hmm. nine i think where they infiltrated this this group in victoria the largest neo-nazi group in australia and I was really surprised because the guy that they hired to go undercover, who I'm assuming is private investigator or an ex-cop or, or maybe he's just like an investigative journalist, but this dude's obviously experienced in undercover. So, because they document the whole thing, like, you know, they've identified the group. They want to get more information about the inner workings of the group. Who are, what, what's the leadership structure? Who are, how are they recruiting? All this kind of stuff. And so this, they're talking to this undercover guy and they're like, well, you need to ingratiate yourself with the group. Um, you need to then move into the inner circle and then just feed all the information back to us. And this is all like mm-hmm. documented. And so the guy who's going undercover, like he's all mic'd up and stuff, obviously wearing a wire for the documentary purposes. Um, so he does his interview with the white supremacists. And I'm like, oh, this will be interesting to sort of see like, you know, this is the first real contact he's having with them. So he's been messaging them over Telegram and stuff and going to their Facebook pages and stuff. And eventually, you know, he's, he's set up this kind of interview to be led into the group. And the guy sort of said to him, the first question the white supremacists asked him, uh, like, you know, well, how would you describe your political views? And from an acting point of view, like when you take on a character, you generally, you know, you sort of sort of dig a bit deep into oh, well, where's this person come from? And you want to have some complexity to it. You know, it's a fairly detailed backstory. So it's like, well, you know, my father did this and my mother did this. I went to school here. Just so the world feels more enriched for you. Turns out when you're going undercover, you just go for the most obvious thing because the guy was like, what's your political views? And he's gone, oh, I'd say I'm racist. <laughs> like, I'm just, yeah, I'm just really just racist. racist. Just um, I'm really <laughs> racist. I love white people. And not other people. I'm totes racist. What's your backstory? No backstory, just racist. Just love being racist. That's exactly what he's saying. Then the whole time I'm watching this going like, surely the neo-Nazis are going to go, this sounds awfully like convenient and not very well thought out at all. 
But no, like they're like, sure, that oh, we agree with that too. We are also incredibly racist and we believe in racism. And yeah. it was like Hey, any of you guys like racism? Because I'm really into racism. You guys like racism? Tell us about the racism you've done. You tick off the cliches. He was like, um, oh, so, you know, uh, why why do you have those political views? Oh, because they come here and they steal our jobs and they do all the yeah. crimes. And, like, it's literally the first three things you could think of. And then they were like, and, uh, what's your, what are your views on homosexuality? And he's like, oh, well, it's not Adam and Eve. It's Adam and Steve. Yeah. Oh. And then I'm suddenly, like, like, going, come on, white supremacists. Like, you should be able to sniff this out. This guy's like not even trying. This, this guy, this guy's literally just saying things that are on bumper stickers. <laughs> literally. And then, um, uh, so he gets into the group and so he's, you know, they've identified where the headquarters is. And so he's gone around and like, it's, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've no, I don't think anyone's ever tried to infiltrate any group I've been in. So maybe uh, I don't know, but he's walking around like with this hidden camera, like button, you know, pinhole camera, going up to every single person and saying, G'day, I'm Davo. What's your name? And what do you do in this group? And like, you know, like literally <laughs> being so unsubtle. And these people being like, oh, I'm so, I'm, you know, I'm the sergeant at arms or, or whatever. And oh, yeah, I organize all this stuff. And so um, uh, at one stage, like, you know, he's saying goodbye to a couple of them, one of the neo Nazis and his girlfriend, and his dog's in the car. And the neo Nazi and his girlfriend come over and they're patting the dog and stuff. And, and they're like, oh, you know, it's great. It's a German Shepherd. It's like, yeah, of course it's a German Shepherd. You know, I wouldn't have any other dog. And then they said, what's the dog's name? It's gone, Kaiser. And I'm like, oh, come on, neo-Nazis. Like this dude is being so obvious. There aren't any alarm bells ringing. It was just like, I really, I thought maybe I could go undercover. Like the level of kind of backstory I've done on Home and Away goes much further than this investigative reporter. I mean, it does feel... Like it's the absolute cliche of what it is to be a neo-Nazi, but maybe that's what being a neo-Nazi is like, because mm. maybe they are just play acting those things, right? Like, and it is those key talking points. You just check off the top five and you're a neo-Nazi. It's funny what you said about him just asking people what their names were and what they did. Have you seen the M. Night Shyamalan movie Old? No, the, be the beach that makes you old, or is that a spoiler? <laughs> Yeah, the beach that makes you old. I haven't. No, no, no. That's the whole pr principle of the movie. The okay. beach that makes you old. People know about. I've tried to watch it twice, and I still haven't made it to what I imagine is a twist ending at some stage. Right, but there is. It's so frustrating. It's such a terrible film on so many different levels. But the thing that kills me the most about this film, and I've watched it now twice because it was being watched in the house yesterday, and I was walking by it and I went, oh, it's fucking happened again and it reminded me of this. There is a kid character who basically the idea is I think that he wants to be like a filmmaker or like a journalist or whatever, but he's literally just the laziest exposition character you <laughs> yeah, have ever yeah. met in your entire life because he literally just goes around to people and goes, hi, what's your name? What do you do? And that is how <laughs> all the characters are introduced in this film. They're like, you know what? We could like write a script that introduced these various characters in an interesting and creative way, or we could just get a kid to literally go up to each of them and say, what's your name? What do you do? But it turns out that is how you become an undercover investigative reporter. So maybe I'm wrong and M. Night Shyamalan is right. Have you seen The Batman? No. Okay. No, I haven't had the opportunity to it's, go it's, to the movies. It's, this is not a spoiler in any way, but Commissioner Gordon is essentially that same character. Like I think – because uh, you know they, it's a, it's a the, the genre they're doing is noir, so there's a lot of like puzzle solving and mystery solving and all that kind of stuff. But Commissioner Gordon's primary job in the entire film is to just be like, 
what the hell is that? What the hell does that mean, Batman? What the hell is going on? <laughs> it's like and then Batman explains whatever the, the clue is or the puzzle is. But I could have sworn I was counting by the end. It's like, what the hell is that? What the hell? What the hell is going on? This, it's like, how did you get to commissioner when you don't seem to know anything that's going on? Like, you know, you're following a serial killer. You know, he leaves these cryptic clues, but you seem so stunned every time you find a new one. Oh my God, what the hell is that? But maybe that's what you need in that job. You need somebody with like a childlike curiosity. Somebody who's always willing to ask the questions of the experts to explain it. You don't always need, I mean, if you have two Batman in the room, like two alphas, like Batman's mm. clearly an alpha. He's not going to get along with Commissioner Gordon if he's like another alpha coming in and they're like button heads all the time. You need someone who's actually just like, you know, you need someone who's going to be the, the yeah. wind between the wind beneath the bat wings. So that's, to speak. that is true. And I also like just in terms of conversation, will sometimes ask questions that I know the answer to because I want to hear what someone's mm. take on something is. So maybe that's Commissioner Gordon's deal. Is like I actually gen I know I, I even know who did the murder, but I just want to. I like this Batman guy. I just like hanging out with him. He's a cool guy. He dresses cool. He's got that cool voice. He's got a great car. It's like hanging out with him. He makes me cool by association. But the other thing is, I think it's like when, say, for example, like you're you you maybe have like a rich friend or something like that, and you want to go to this thing with this rich friend, but you don't want to be the person who's like, hey can we go to this thing? Cause I can't afford it. And like, I know you'll end up paying for it, but I don't want to bring it up. But if they brought it up, if they suggested it. So I think commissioner Gordon has limited resources and limited ways that he can go about like fixing the crimes. Like he's confined by some rules that the Batman isn't, I imagine. Mm. Right. So I think he's got to go into all these situations going, Hey, this thing, like I've got a solution, but what's your solution? Cause I reckon your solution will have more like flying planes and bashing and cool stuff. You know, on that, that idea of like cops bringing in, you know, an outsider. I was talking to someone the other day um, uh, about psychics and they uh, were meant, there, there was someone in the area in, where we live in the Northern Rivers who's like a famous psychic. And so you were a famous psychic <laughs> in the Northern Rivers. Yeah. <laughs> but someone was saying to me, oh yeah, no, she's the person that the police called in for blah, blah, yeah. blah case. And I'm like, hang on. That, does that actually happen in real life where the police will get a – because I've seen it in TV shows and movies, but I've always assumed that's fiction. And how would you feel if you were the family <laughs> of the victim where the police are like, look, we'll be honest with you, we'll run into a brick wall, but we've got Celeste here and she's got a feeling. <laughs> she's got a feeling she knows where the car is. Like that seems to be a pretty um, desperate move. <laughs> I'm suggesting, like, if the cops start going to kind of parlor games to sort of solve the crime. It happens a lot. Uh, often I believe it happens less that the cops go and contact the psychics, but the psychics contact the cops. And then the cops have to decide one way or the other whether they use them or not. And I imagine that's like a case-by-case -case basis and it would be in consultation with the victims, like, and how comfortable they are with it. But I don't think it's the cops going through the book going, like, hey, Look up some psychics. Yeah, we're out of ideas. A lot of the time I think it's psychics going to the cops and saying, I reckon I know where the body is or I, I've got a suspicion about this. If, if the psychic came, I'd want to see their track record. I wouldn't want this to be their first rodeo. Yeah. Yeah, this is the first time I've got a hunch about what's going on. Like, give me like the last 10 things that you predicted accurately. Give me a little bit of a, you know, form sheet and then I'll see if we can get you involved in this case. Especially up here 
It's like, hey, uh, less with the like one-on-one crime and more with the natural disasters. Could any of you predicted the floods yeah. that were about to happen? Yeah, go, go back six weeks and, and tell me what this psychic was saying about the weather, and then I'll tell you whether I'm going to get him involved in this missing persons case or not. Um, I've been, um, yeah. Can I say, like, when it comes to like you know that part of the world, the fact that it's we're in we're rain, it's raining again where we are right which now. Is, yeah. incredibly triggering, uh, yeah. you know, for people who've just been through a massive natural disaster. It is raining a lot again. Um, some locals have rebuilt a bridge, you know, which is the only way out of my house at the moment. And it's fair to say that like three, four weeks ago when they rebuilt that bridge, that was like a good looking bridge. But the last few times I've driven over that bridge, I'm like, either the locals are going to have to get back out there again or that bridge is going to go again. And it's starting to be scary. Like, yeah again up here which it's, is i mean well, hopefully it won't be as bad as last time but the fact that it's raining so much again just off the back of it raining so much is terrifying well they sent out like this flood warnings went out yesterday uh, you know all over the northern yeah. rivers i did some volunteering again on wednesday um uh, on friday um up in uh, uh near main arm uh and this girl incredible again like you know the community spirit Incredible. This girl is a university student whose dad runs a freight company out of South Australia. And so she called him and said, hey, if I could organize some donations, you reckon you could organize some free freight to get, you know, the donations up here? And he's like, yeah, sure. She thought she was going to get like five pallets worth of donations, end up getting like 35. And her dad's like, you need to organize like a storage facility because this is like, you know, two semi-trailers worth coming your way. So this girl who is not a professional like crisis relief organizer. She's a uni student in her early 20s, managed to find like a storage facility in Billy Nudgel, uh, talked the, called the owner in Thailand, got him to donate like a couple of um, shipping containers so she could put storage in, and then has been coordinating getting these donations delivered and then out to areas that need them. And so that's, I was just helping her unload the stuff and, you know, a bunch of other volunteers, which is great. But at the same time, I'm like, should this not be being done by like a professional like crisis management team? Like why a month after the fact are we still relying on a university student who is making it up as she goes along, doing a great job? I'm not trying to cast any dispersions on her, but it's like it seems to me insane that this is still like on the people to solve this problem. Where is the help, Will? Uh, we're looking at creating jobs for a new world. Why not be putting a huge amount of money at the moment into – crisis management training people properly to manage the crisis we know that we're going to have more crisis right yeah. like so in the meantime while we're trying to fucking fix the reasons that these things are happening why not train people who like you said are ready to be on the ground going to these communities help at least help coordinate even if this university student was still doing something have someone that they can consult with yeah. that you know can give them the right tips and you know management procedures and all these sort of things to actually help out um i was so last night i did a flood relief show at the Brunswick Picture House and one day I might release the audio of this encounter. It's hard because I was talking to someone in the audience and they're not mic'd, but it was honestly the funniest bit of improvised comedy that I think I've ever done in one of these shows, not because of anything in particular that I was doing, but I will tell you a very short version of the story, but I was talking to this older looking fella in the front row and I was talking about how much it was raining and I made some reference to arcs. And he says, well, funnily enough, I was in a meeting today about building an ark, which is a very 
Northern Rivers response yeah. to something like that. It's rare you would be in, in many other places. And someone was like, well, funnily enough, I was in a meeting about an arc just today. Who would have thought? So it turns out he is part of um, the, a, a creative committee in Mullumbimby, like, you know, around flood relief. And they are, um, they've been, there's a committee that's been put together to investigate, to build an arc, whether they will build an arc. And I asked him, I said, why Why do you want to build an ark? And he said, well, our building washed away and we don't want our building to wash away again. And I had to be the first person to point out to him, Charlie, that they had literally built something designed for being washed away. <laughs> like an ark is a boat. <laughs> like you could not have built something less secure in a flood than a fucking ark. It's not staying there. It's fucking off immediately. And like no one in the committee had brought that up at any stage. Tay, do you reckon this is an issue? What was, so hang on, so, but is the idea... Is the idea behind the arc that if it does flood, that at least they'll float, yeah. that they won't go under? Was that the idea? I guess so. But I think that only thought that it would float up. They, they would <laughs> it would float, float with away. the tide. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. How big is the ark, though? Like that, that. I mean, are they talking biblical uh, two of each animal, or there, is it just like no? I asked two about of each the person in Mullumbimby. No. Yeah, not no. They're not doing yeah. Just yeah, two two uh, two people from the drum circle, two anti vaxxers two anti five G people. <laughs> what qualifies it as an ark rather than just a boat? Like, should, isn't he just building a boat? Mm, good point. No, I think they. It, he was very specific about the idea that it was an ark. Okay. So I think it's some sort of like I don't know what the difference between an ark and a boat is necessarily, but podcast might. But yeah, you? he definitely was like. Could you find the what is the definition of an arc and, and how does it differentiate from a boat? Because if it's just a size thing, I mean, you've got like cruise liners, which essentially are boats, right? And they take thousands of people. So are they arcs or is why is it an arc? Is it the shape of it or something? I don't know. These are questions I should have asked. And I asked him a lot of questions. <laughs> I talked to him for about 20 minutes yeah, right. and I did not actually get to the specifics of it. <laughs> I, another person I talked to, and I thought this might be interesting to bring up, is mm. um, there was someone in the front row who was a marketing manager for macadamia nuts. Yeah. And we started talking about nuts and what were the most popular nuts in Australia and what nuts people preferred. So could you rank in order? Are you a nut eater? Do yeah. you like nuts? Well, i got lots of nuts, yeah. yeah. yeah i got a, uh, got yeah. a pantry full of nuts right now. Okay, so... Rank in order. Give us your top five. Give me your top five nuts and give me what you think Australia's top five nuts are in preference. Uh, well, I reckon I reckon my top five would be also Australia's top five. I think I'm your, okay. your gen, I, I am your generic nut purchaser. Um, I would say- Okay. So you think you're, yeah, generic nut purchaser. I learned from this woman last night that people who buy specific nuts generally consume other nuts as well. Like, so- yep. It's rare that you only eat one sort of nut. You will eat a range of nuts. Therefore, I'm interested in your rankings. Give us, go from, can you go from five up to one? Okay. So um, let me just say, yeah, okay. I, I reckon I would put, Braz, I would put Brazil nuts. No, macadamia yeah. nuts at number five. Because they're kind of fancy. They're Macadamia's like the, at five, you say. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of expensive. They're like, you know, they're your top end mm. nut. Then I would say walnuts. 
at number four. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, oh, actually, no, I'm going to put, I'm going to put walnuts at, I'm going to put, no, no, I'm going to keep walnuts at four. Then I'm going to say peanuts at mm. three. Mm-hmm. No, fuck this up. I'm going to start from one. I'm going to say almonds at number one. <laughs> okay, start from one. Um, almonds, almonds are number one. one in your. Uh, yeah, almonds are number uh, one. Uh, peanuts are number two. I'm going to say walnuts are number three. I'm going to say macadamias at number four. I'll, I'll bump them up one. And then I would say mm. fifth is an interesting one. Like pecans? Because that might be a bit too niche. Pecans or hazelnuts? No, I'm going to say hazelnuts, number five. Okay. According to this uh, woman who did work for Big Macadamia, so we need to take that into account, but apparently backed up by research around this topic, Australia's top five nuts, I think this is the order that she said. In first place, macadamias. No. Macadamias are the finest of all nuts, apparently, the most preferred. The as she said last night, always taken first. If you're in a packet of mixed nuts, people always go for the macadamias first. I I, I agree, but are we talking on in terms of like ranking of quality? I would say sure, but in terms of consumption, peanuts or almonds would no, have no, to be. we're not talking. No, we're not talking consumption. By the way, peanuts not nuts. Legumes found that is out that right? Night. Yep, oh. peanuts not not actually nuts. I didn't so, learn that um, last night. <laughs> I literally did <laughs> a bit of crowd work last night. And in fact, not even from the person I was talking to. It was a heckle from someone else in the audience. <laughs> I love it. Someone's just really getting their nose out of joint about all this nuts. Someone was like, peanuts aren't even nuts, mate. Bloody coming around here pretending to be nuts, using our bathrooms. Oh, this is taking a weird turn. Um, <laughs> No, this is meant to be in, in preference. So, like, okay. let's just say cost out the window, like you've got a packet of mixed nuts there. Okay. What is the order that you're eating those mixed nuts? Give me that. Okay, that, that all right, okay, I understand that. So, yeah, I reckon then macadamia probably does come at number one because they are the fanciest. Okay. They're the fanciest. What's in number two then oh, in your mixed that, nuts? In a mixed nuts. Um, can, and so are we saying peanuts are out because they're legumes or can peanuts for the sake peanuts of Peanuts did not make the top five. So what? They're just, yes. That is that is bullshit. I'm yeah. We need to investigate. Okay, so I'd say almonds go in at number two. So macadamia. No, uh, no you've, you've you're overlooking pist- one of the fanciest pista- of all pistachio. Pistachios come in at three, so you, you, you're good, but you're missing a very obvious nut. Am I? Um, yeah. It used if- to be like before macadamias came along. Oh, by the way, macadamia is Australian. Yeah, that's right. So you know. That's, that's, you know, that's good. But uh, before macadamias <laughs> came along, there was another big nut on the block. You don't remember? Yeah. I mean, was, Brazil? Brazil? Yeah. What was the... No. Brazil no. are bulky. And yeah, they do make the big. top five, by the way. I think in, in fifth. But you, you think about an unusually shaped nut. Oh. Um, okay. So I've said walnut and I've said hazelnut and they've been mm. poo-pooed. An unusual shaped mm. nut. What is it? Just tell me. Cashew, macadamia, cashew. I'm an idiot. I've got a bloody jar full of cashews in my pantry upstairs. I'm I'm an idiot. You're right. No, that makes sense to me. And they are a good nut too because cashews transition effortlessly between sweet and savory. And you you roast them there and you get extra flavor. Yeah, that that makes sense to me. So, yeah, okay, macadamia, cashew, then almond. Yeah. 
Then Armand. Uh, pistachio in three. Oh, God. I think Armand was four and Brazil was five from memory. See, that was- I reckon pistachio is overrated. I think people have been fooled Why? by the salted p- pistachio because that's like, uh-huh. they're really good, the salted. But an, an ordinary pistachio without salt, is it's not that great. Yeah, but most nuts without salt are great. Like, I mean, I'm, oh. I like salt on my nuts. <laughs> well, I found, we found our clip for the week. Uh, I, uh, I like, I like um, roast almonds without salt. I think roast almonds are my favorite easily. Almonds are the ones I use most often in like when I'm cooking, if I need to add a bit of flavor to something, bit of pro, uh, a bit of essential fats, I always will go for an almond. What are you cooking with almonds? Like what, what, what do you put almonds into? You put almonds into smoothies. You can, if you do like a stir fry, you can crush up some almonds and, and sprinkle them across the top. Almond butter is great on toast. Almond butter, uh, you know, with my sweet almond eggs. Almond uh, butter is a, almond butter is a great additive <laughs> to lots of things. It can be, you can make it into a satay sauce, an almond satay sauce. Mix it with a bit of tamari and some sriracha and uh, 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 sesame oil. Why are you laughing? It's a legitimate thing. By the way, I know I've copped a lot of shit for my healthy banana pancakes uh-huh. for years on this show. Yes. And I mentioned last week mm-hmm. that I made Iona banana pancakes with flour. Um, mm-hmm. She told me this week that she does not like flour pancakes and she only wants me to make mm-hmm. the banana pancakes. So, so what do you want to do with so, that? I mean, I don't know, not eat like a two-year-old child? <laughs> <laughs> I think not based all my decisions on what I do in my life based on what oh. your toddler daughter does. Mate, I'm questioning a lot of my choices at the moment. I don't know uh, what's happened this week. I know that you'll understand this. Like you're a person, and I'm very similar in the way that you know when you get like a hankering for something, like you'll eat a chocolate bar or, or something like that. You just eat like you'll eat it until you make yourself sick. You just this becomes your thing, your favorite thing, and you're just gonna eat it, eat it, eat it until like you can't bear to look at it anymore. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Okay, I do know what you're talking about. I've recently had an obsession with a dairy-free vegan peanut brownie that I got for a friend of ours who's dairy-free and vegan, and I ate some on the way home, and then I've been back to that dairy-free vegan <laughs> shop like three days in a row. Going, give me more of that brownie. I'm exactly the same. But it's happened to me in the in most unexpected way. I, how did I get? Oh yeah, okay. So I drive Iona to daycare, and Iona's suddenly become aware of the Spice Girls. She really likes the Spice Girls, and so we'll normally listen to Wannabe while I'm driving her to daycare. And then once I've dropped her off, because I've selected that on Spotify, it didn't rolls on to the next you know song in that genre, and so it rolls into like um, late '90s British pop music, like boy band and girl band music, and so. Just through like, um, um, I guess some kind of osmosis, I was like listening to this, like these British pop bands. I started getting like curious about, oh, like the late 90s. That's right. That's when like boy bands were at their zenith. And so I just started doing a bit of digging around online and I found this um, show on YouTube. It was like a, a TV show in 2013 called The Big Reunion, where they went out to all these big boy and girl bands from the late 90s, like Atomic Kitten and... Um, uh, uh, like 911 and, and the honeys and stuff. And these guys were all big in the eyes. It's been 13 years since they were famous and they were bringing them back together for like one last big hurrah. 
And so it's like, you know, part reality series, part kind of, you know, Australian Idol where they get these acts back on stage. And I started watching this show and I just was getting, A, I was fascinated by this idea of all these bands in the late 90s. This is, you know, I guess the last time when you could sell 20 million albums. All these acts were huge. Like they all sold like millions and millions of records and they were all intensely famous for no longer than a, say, three to four year period. And their story is all in the same way. They hit the scene with this in, huge amount of like, you know, uh, popularity and, 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 and they're number ones and they're touring the world and they have number one albums and then they all implode. It always, it's the same story with each band. It's like they get to the third album, someone gets burnt out, they quit, they try and carry on, maybe they replace them or they, you know, become a three-piece or a two-piece, whatever it is, and then they always implode. And then the stories from that is like there'll be one or two band members who try and kind of keep the fame thing going, but then there'll be other band members who are like, well, that was fun. I'm just going to get a real job. And so in this like series, it's them kind of reforming the band and you're sort of getting all the stories of, so there's this one boy band called Five. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but they were like, yeah, yeah they were like the Don't British. you mean Five Five? That's yeah, five eyes. Wasn't it the five? Five eyes. <laughs> That's right. So yeah. they were like Simon Cow pre Australian Idol. Baby, Simon when Cow. the lights, lights go, go out. out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they were Simon Cow's like pre Australian Idol project. Yeah. They wanted to create a, a, a like a English Backstreet Boys that were a bit. Um, Wasn't one of them of, called Abs? Was yeah. there one of them was called Abs, right? Richie, Abs, Scott, Jay, and Sean. They were, the, they were the five guys. And so uh, Abs was the kind of unofficial kind of lead singer. He was the Justin Timberlake. He was probably the most talented. Right. could sing and rap, was good looking. Then you had Richie, who was like the Hugh Grant. He had the kind of like fringe <laughs> and was always wearing like po- very preppy dress, polo shirt and stuff. You had Jay, who was the kind of heavy. He was the rapper who would come in and he was probably the best looking. He was probably second to Abs as the leader. Uh, yeah, so you had Scott, who's kind of the – he was the singer – um, but probably like the least sort of good looking of them. And then you had um, Sean, who was like the shy, mysterious one that probably all the girls liked. He was like the George Harrison of the group. So um, I uh, I started focusing on on five because they had this like, they had this meteoric rise where they were like poised to become a huge boy band. They'd cracked the UK market, three number ones. And they're all, uh, they had their first like top 10 single in the US. They're all set to go. One of the guys quit the band, then um, another, like a month later, another guy quit, and then it all just sort of fell, fell apart and they just sort of disintegrated. So when this series, the big reunion starts up, like four of the guys are wanting to get together and Jay, the heavy, the rapper, they're trying to get him back in, but he decides at the last minute, you know what, since the band broke up, I just turn my back on showbiz. I just don't, I just like being anonymous. I don't really want to go back into that. And so... They go ahead and they do the show and it's a you know big success, whatever. Now, do they rename themselves for? They have that discussion. They, they audition yeah. for a fifth, a new fifth member, and that's great. Like the audition process is great. Like this one dude comes in and he's just like, uh, he's just like, I'm a male model, um, but you know, I've done some singing and stuff. I'm like, okay, great. Well, can you sing for us? He's like, no, no. And like, oh, okay, well, could you rap? And he's like, no. And they're like, so you're gonna do anything? He's like, no, no, I'll just, you know, if I get the job, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> and he walks out of the room and I'm like, fucking hell, the ball's on that guy. It's like he's coming in specifically to audition to be a singer. And it's like, will you sing? He's like, nah, I'll do it if I get the nah. job. 
Yeah, if I get the job. Are you, are you uh, paying so they, me for this audition? No. So they have this discussion about like, do they just become a four-piece? And so that's what they end up doing. But it, during the do- course of this series, like they all sort of talk about their recollections of the band and they all start like dropping shit on Jay, the guy who has refused to come back to saying he was a bully and, you know, he was a bit older than the rest of us and, you know, we're all intimidated by him and blah, blah, blah. So then um, I was like, shit, like I've got to find out what happened to Jay. Like, I'm, like where is it? And there is, like he literally, when he left Showbiz, he, he left. There is nothing. He has no social media presence. You can't find anything about him online apart from, I think he did I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here in 2007. And the only other thing he did was, he did this right of reply interview after the series of this this reunion where he just did this interview and he said like um he said you know i just he said i don't really watch tv or anything like that but you know i heard the boys were doing a show and i was really excited for them and so i dug the tv out of the and, and i sat down to watch my mates and then they all just banged the shit out of me and say that like i'm the reason the band broke up and that I was a bully and all that kind of stuff and he was like it's gone like I was in the band too. Like we were all under like the same amount of intense pressure, and you know the whole reason I, I I've never decided to go back into showbiz is gone. I just fucking hated it. Like I, I hated being told what to think, what to wear, where to be, making songs we didn't really even care about, and so uh, you know and all of these bands, like whether it was Five or Atomic Kitten, it feels like all of them at least one band member was so like depressed by the experience that they were like were driven to suicide or at least suicidal thoughts. And then I started thinking about, it, it's like, okay, so boy bands, they don't really exist anymore. I guess since the advent of like Australian Idol and stuff, and maybe even K-pop has sort of supplanted boy and girl bands. Is that's like the number one. Sort well, of like, K- K-pop are boy and girl bands. Mostly, yeah. Right. But, but it's kind of, it, that's taken like, I think, you know, the appeal of boy band and girl bands, you know, was that it's like, uh, you know, it's almost like superheroes. It's like you have your favorite character and it's all about the dance moves and the costumes and the choreography. And I think K-pop is that, you know, souped up by a million. Like it's there's nine band members and the costumes are amazing. The dancing is even more incredible and stuff. Um, but then I, I, I was reading about all these, so especially in England where, you know, as we've discussed on previous episodes, they love a novelty song. Like you can release a, you know, a cover song of, of Eternal Flame or whatever, and it'll go straight to number one if you if you just if you get the timing right. But it seems like these record companies, their modus operandi is like, okay, so we'll run these talent recruitments, we'll we'll find this band, we'll assemble this band, we'll sign them to a six album deal, knowing that they're probably going to implode after three albums. We're probably only going to get they're, they're almost banking on the fact that they this this band won't be able to fulfill their commitments because the contracts they get signed to at the start are massively in the record company's favour. If you can survive that initial six-album deal, then you can renegotiate and you can probably give yourself a much better deal. But like all of these artists, and like I'm talking like multiple, like 12 different groups, and none of them have any money. Like And all these, like all these record companies sold... Like, I think five sold 20 million albums worldwide. And, you know, none of them have anything to show for it. And then you're like, oh, so that's kind of what it was in the 90s. It's like, if you, you know, wanted to make a lot of money really quickly, get that boy or girl band together, sign them up to some ridiculous, completely inequitable deal, and hope, like, you're kind of banking on the fact that they are going to implode. Because, 
when they were discussing like why they broke up, it was like, you know, they'd been working for three years straight. They hadn't had any days off. It was just like tour, studio, press, tour, studio, press. And they're all like 15, 16, 17 when it started. So they're teenagers. So it makes complete sense by the time they get to 20, they're like going fucking crazy. But then it's like, that's what they want. <laughs> like that's what these record companies want. It's so, so bizarre. And then, so I was like, okay, well, we're a three now. Uh, three. We're a five now. Five <laughs> a three. So they just, so it's, so Abs has left and Jay, like I said, underground, he's never really surfaced again. Um, Abs is a really like interesting dude. He's um, from West London. So he's got that kind of like Ali G, uh, you know, Stormzy kind of accent. Like for real, for real, like talks like that. And he's like, covered in tattoos now and he lives on a farm you know he just he just he's a farmer now essentially um but i saw i found this interview he did like three years ago where again he was talking about how being a pop star like drove him towards suicide and um he tells this story about how so after five sort of split up he got a solo album deal didn't really go anywhere but he was still like a celebrity and you know bobbing around in the uk doing stuff and money was going, 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 but he had this penthouse apartment with no furniture and like no cutlery. It's the only thing he had was this apartment, but nothing in it. Um, and so eventually this very wealthy woman, like society, wealthy society woman said to him, just come stay with me. I've got a big house. You can stay in one of my rooms. So he moved into this mansion and he said like, this woman was like, into what, like just super wealthy and plugged in with like royalty and like just like the, you know, the rich of the rich in the UK. And he said every day was a party. Like there was just constantly people at the house, constant parties. He'd wake up in the morning, there'd be like a, a tray of cocaine and like a vodka, uh, a, a vodka pineapple smoothie beside his bed. That was his breakfast for like two years. And he said at one point, a very famous politician said to him, um, if you sleep with me, I'll buy you a brand new Bentley. And he was like, I actually was thinking about it. It's like, I would really like a Bentley. And then he's like, what am I doing? Like, I've become, I'm their pet. Like, that's what they've got me here. Like, this woman just wanted like a celebrity pet. And and right. so I've been like living in her house is this kind of like a weird, it's almost like, you know, here in Victorian times, it was kind of considered like a, a good social standing to have like a, a hobo living on your property. And it's like, that's what, it's like an eyes wide shut, some weird kind of twisted, decadent, rich people thing. Okay, talk me through this pet thing, because this sounds like a good next stage of my career, because <laughs> like, we have pets, and pets are looked after very well. Like, the idea of being at some sort of like two-year party just as a novelty for rich people, do you think that I could be someone's pet? Do you think there would be somebody out there of wealthy means? Like they have to be eccentric, like this person. But say, mm. let's go. Let's say it is a you know, a female benefactor. Doesn't have to be, but let's just say for this example, like this one was, mm. grew up listening to Triple J or something. Like informative years, Glass but has gone on to make like millions in business and those sort of things, and just has always had some sort of affection for me or my work or whatever it is. Like reminds me of some time in her life that is important to her and she has so much money that she's like well this would be fun like i could go and see him in concert or i could just have him living in the in the pool room and he could mm. be my pet and i could bring him out at parties and stuff like what would the role entail do you think like from watching well, this documentary that, what do you feel like like your day, think, what you, what abs had to get up to 
Well, I think Abs just had to be there. Like, I think Abs just had to. I mean, I, it wasn't like he was having to perform. So I doubt you'd have to be like you wouldn't have to be writing any more material. I think your presence alone right. is the is the value. Yeah, I think it'd, it'd be a pretty yeah. good deal for you. But I think you would have to Feels party. Like a great job. Well, you'd have to party. I don't know what all Abs the time. is complaining about? <laughs> Again, I'm not sure what Abs is complaining about. <laughs> Well, don't you think it would be like a little kind of? It would be a bit of a nightmare after a while. It'd be it'd be like that ironic punishment where it's like, oh, partying all the time would be amazing, but then surrounded by those people, and I imagine too, it would be a slowly escalating. Like at first, it would be great. You're just the pet. You just come out, and people are like, oh, there's Will Anderson. You know, I used right. to watch him on the Glass House and stuff. Yeah. But then they want Will Anderson. What can we make Will Anderson do? Do you think? If we oh, threw yeah. this money on the floor, like <laughs> with his bad hips, we could get him on hands and knees, like picking up these $5 bills. You know, the humiliations would start because they're rich. They, uh, and, and they, because I think what happens is rich people who are untalented or rich people who aren't famous, they have money, but they don't have any of the other kind of trappings. And so they like hanging around with famous people because it makes them feel like, you know, the just by association that they maybe they're famous or they're talented or whatever. So they're going to want to bring you down to their level. They're going to want to take the shine off your talent and make you feel as worthless as they feel about themselves. That's what I'm saying. So I think it would be fine for the first month, but soon they're going to want to humiliate you. Little, just little bit bits and pieces of humiliation. I mean, yeah, okay. Well, I can. I mean, I humiliate <laughs> myself on a daily basis, so I can put up with a little <laughs> humiliation from others if it means I don't have to write new shows. Well, what if it was more like, um, you know, like I understand that the Playboy bunnies, you know, like if you're one of Hef's girlfriends, there were certain, you know, curfews. For instance, no, you couldn't have any. Um, you couldn't have any friends over, let alone like Amy or anything like that. There's, you can't have contact with your friends unless it's pre-approved by us. You certainly can't be doing your fucking dinky little podcast. That's out. Um, you, uh, well, you probably cop less shit from <laughs> two guys, one cup fans who are angry about us moving to listen. <laughs> Might be a relief, actually. <laughs> you become well, yeah, a, lot of me, a lot of two guys, one cup fans will be just like, oh, well, Will's not on Lister anymore. He's someone's pet now. He can't do the show. <laughs> He's decided to go into the world. Charlie told him about a documentary. Abs, he did some research into Abs from Five, and now he's a professional pet. <laughs> uh, so I think that. They, that would be the restrictions. And then I imagine there'd be some, like you couldn't be getting about in your bloody tracksuit pants and your basic tees. Like they're going to want you to dress up a bit. I, I'd say that would be probably the most challenging thing for you is they're going to want you to be presentable at all times. Well, I'd just be like, I'd just be like, a, I'd be like a pet that you dress up though. Like, you know, the pet doesn't yeah. like it. It's fun yeah. for them. Yeah, always pulling at the collar a little bit. But no, I dress up for parties, but I'm not dressing up all day long. No, like, no. Like no, well, because only... Hef, said, Hef said that his girls always had to be like in full makeup and they couldn't be in tracksuit pants and stuff. they got to dress sexy. So you've got to dress like, what do you wear on Gruen? It's like a suit and tie, right? Yeah, but I mean, that's not what I've always worn. No, no, that's not fair. I'm not I'm not agreeing to this. I'll be your pet. I'll wear a suit and tie to parties, but I'm not wearing a suit and tie all the time like I'm your butler or something. I'm your pet, not your staff. 
Because that's the difference. You're looking at me as an employee, whereas I'm looking at me as a pet. Like you've got to treat me in the way that yeah. you would treat a pet. Like it's for companionship. It's for like socialization, like being around other people, showing off. Maybe you get to me to do a few tricks. You can dress me up occasionally, but you're not like, mostly you've got to treat me like a pet. You've got to feed me. You've got to care for me. You've got to look after me. Like, take you to know, the doctor. Exactly. Right. Yeah. If I'm sick, okay. you've got to take me to but- the doctor. But your pet doesn't get to choose what it eats. So, like, they're putting stuff out for you. Like, what if there's no vegetarian option? What are you going to do then? Well, what I would say is my pet gets an array of treats and treats that they like. We worked out what they like, and then we give them what they like. And this is a rich person. They're not going to want to underfeed their pet. They want their pet looking good. So they want me to have a good coat at the party. Do you know what I mean? Like they'll give me proper grooming and stuff. Yeah. They don't want some scruffy pet entertainer ruining their celebrity parties. Just vegan, chocolate vegan. Well, mate, you can't have too many of those vegan peanut butter brownies if they want you looking good for your guests. I know, but that's my treat. You know, when I've been a good boy, right. I get a vegan peanut butter brownie. <laughs> Uh, let's get to the mailbag, Will, before we wrap hey, can this Can we show quickly, up. just before um, we get wanted- to the mailbag, um, I just wanted to quickly mention, because Foo Fighters are always such a huge part of conversations oh, that we've yeah, had on this show, um, uh, Taylor Hawkins, who, um, you know, very, very sadly, only 50 years old, has died. Um, obviously, at the time we're recording this, there isn't a lot of information around but there's a lot of speculation around why he might have died, but there isn't a lot of firm information. So I don't think there's any point speculating about that. But I, um, Adam, Adam Spencer uh, tweeted about this, but I was very lucky when I was working at Triple J. They did a, the Foo Fighters did a live at the Wireless, which is, you know, the Triple J live music show. And they went down to a studio at the ABC, like in front of 30 people and played like, you know, an hour and a half set or whatever, as if they were in front of 30,000 people. And I got to sit, you know, on the floor watching the Foo Fighters and, yeah, being 10 metres away from Taylor Hawkins, like watching him drum for all that time, which was one of the most amazing musical experiences I've ever had in my life. But the thing that I wanted to mention was that beforehand, because this wasn't in, you know, a proper gig or a proper venue or anything, it was literally just this studio at the ABC. They had this little other little office which was essentially the green room but it's just another little office near the studio and and adam and i had popped our heads in beforehand just to you know say hello we'd had them on the show and we were going to say hello not only did they invite us in for a chat but they invited the people in for a chat and my memory is very much of not not just how good dave was to amy but how brilliantly charming and down to earth and nice and delightful that um, Taylor was to Amy as well. He was, I only really got to meet him a couple of times, but he was a genuinely uh, wonderful, delightful human being who brought uh, an incredible amount of joy to an incredible amount of people. And I just feel really fucking sad that, you know, for him and for his family and for, you know, his bandmates, for Dave Grohl, you know I mean? I'm like fucking Mm. Dave Grohl, man. Like, you know, two of his best friends in the world. He's lost way before he... He's, he's had one of the best lives that anyone has ever had, Dave Grohl. Like, I don't think anyone would argue with that. Yeah. But fuck, it's come with like an expensive price tag as well along the way. Oh, the, the two of them are so... Like, they're so endearing together. Like, they obviously love each other so much. And, you know, I was saying to Jem last night, like, you know, ordinarily, like, drummers can be replaced quite easily in bands but you just wonder with this uh in this case because he he was as much you know like 
the leader of Foo Fighters as as Dave was. Dave was the front man, but it was definitely felt like their band. And it's just it's always always the case when you see someone like him. I never met him like you did, but you can just tell from the interviews. I watched an interview they did on Stern like two weeks ago, and he was so funny. He told this story about um, meeting Prince Harry and Prince Harry like um, punching him in the chest, oh, slapping him in the face because he, he he said that he was a bit jet lagged because he'd flown into the UK and he told Harry that Harry was jet lagged and so Harry slapped him in the face to try and wake him up and he was like, I don't care if you're the fucking Prince of England, you don't just slap someone in the face. And it's just like so disarmingly funny and charming and it's just, it, it's so sad. I mean, I feel very fortunate that I saw them on their last tour, but they played like, in Geelong two weeks ago, and yeah. I mean, I believe, you know, he died two hours before a gig. It's just, it's really, really, it's really sad. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned, we, we've talked about the Free Fighters a lot on this show, so. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, to, to play drums in a band, like where the lead singer and guitarist is regarded as probably the, you know, one of the greatest, if not the greatest drummer of his generation, then you, you got to be good at playing drums. And Taylor Hawkins never... There was not a moment that you ever like watched a Foo Fighters gig and thought, "Fuck, I wish Dave Grohl was playing drums." And I think that's about as big a compliment that you could make to how good a drummer yeah. he was. He was just a compelling drummer. He was like one of those guys that, yeah, you know, the, the best drummers do that, where you just like will find if you're watching them at a concert, you'll just spend entire parts of songs just staring at the drummer and watching them work. Just fucking yeah, so sad, so sad. Um, okay, well, let's get to the mailbag. Uh, this is from Taryn. Hi, Charlie and Will. I'm just going to out myself immediately. I pick random episodes of Tofop and Fofop and listen to them when I'm feeling anxious, and they genuinely help. Recently, my anxiety has been ramped up thanks to the Northern Territory giving up and letting COVID run rampant, and I've been using my Tofop-based coping mechanism a bunch. All that is to say, I just listened to Fofop episode 171, a fish fish on fish crime, which came out in December 2014, where Will and Dave answer questions submitted on the Facebook page. Uh, a question was, Will, at some point, you're going to have to take a year off stand-up because of your hips. Any ideas how you're going to fill in your time? Personally, seeing that you like comics, I'd like to see you and Charlie write something and get James Fosdyke to draw it. Sure, looks like this person predicted everyone relax. <laughs> and that wasn't the end of a very. Then uh, that wasn't the end of the very accurate predictions either. The last question in the episode: Would you rather live out the rest of your life one hundred years in the future or one hundred years in the past? Dave said, "Okay, so it would either be nineteen fourteen. We're talking about what's coming in four years: Spanish flu, World War One, and then the Great Depression, then World War Two, or starting in twenty twenty uh, two uh, twenty one fourteen. Rainbows, unicorns are real. Money falls from the sky. You can eat everything because it's candy." I would go into the future. Oh, no, wait, we're all dying because of global warming and Ebola and mass plagues. <laughs> she said, Taryn says, somehow with that strong finish, the coping mechanism worked a treat and I don't feel anxious at all. <laughs> I don't know how that could be. Uh, so glad you guys are back. Uh, excellent. Oh, thank you, Taryn. And I'm glad that uh, we can help. It is a, a strange time. I think we're all feeling a bit anxious at the moment. My coping mechanism is to delve into boy bands of the late 90s. If Tofop is helping you, then that then that's great. Uh, this next bit of mail is from Jesse. Uh, Clawson is awesome. Greetings from America. I'm a new listener to you guys after hearing Will's amazing appearance on the live dollops. My brother converted me to a dollop listener last June, and I have now listened to every episode, particularly several of the live episodes featuring Will, and I can listen to them for the umpteenth time any day of the week. I wasn't sold on Charlie. <laughs> 
at first. <laughs> but three episodes, uh, but three episodes later, I was in. You boys have made an AFL fan of me. Uh, before I knew any of your allegiances, I did an online quiz for which team I should follow, and I was directed towards the Bulldogs, and I haven't looked back. Well, <laughs> maybe this this year will give this you some cause to look back. You'll not be able to get the podcast in America other than through the website and a VPN. <laughs> Unfortunately, the subscription in the US is $170 a, a year. Is that right? Oh, watch, watch AFL in the US. Was it 170 I don't think it yeah, was. It's that. expensive. Was it that expensive. I know it's, it is expensive, though. But it's been a few years since oh, we were shit. there, and it was expensive even then. Going to have to figure it out, I suppose. Also, the live matches air at about 4 a.m. my time. That's just a little early to start drinking. Any suggestions on watching match replays for free? I don't know. I don't. I'm not. I'm not techie enough. I'm sure that if you went onto some like I bet there is AFL forum, how do you watch someone... AFL for free overseas? Somebody hit us up and let us know. There must be somebody listening who knows. Uh, anyway, the reason I wrote in the first place is that Clawson and Awesome is a slant rhyme, which Eminem and Shakespeare have made famous. However, I might suggest, and this is only works with an American accent, Mm -hmm. Clarson is Barson is better. Love you, boys. Clarson is Barson. doesn't... I mean, it's closer. Clarson is awesome sounds... No, it's not. Are you saying Clarson is Barson? Clarson is Barson. Clarson is Barson is closer than... Clarson is awesome. No, it's knob. Knob. No, it's knob. <laughs> okay, I win again. Based on that, you think the word is knob. I would not accept that. Will, <laughs> well, that is knob correct. Uh, this is from Karen. Hey, guys, uh, I do not usually contact my podcast, but I feel annoyed on your behalf that people are complaining about your shift to listener. I do listen to a, lup, a couple, a number of listener podcasts via my iPhone podcast app, and I've downloaded the new app, uh, and I had no issues. I love the banter between you two, how you manage to make each other really laugh out loud. Most people are happy as such to, and do not bother with contacting to let you know. They say, good job, love it. Um, and to many people who are aggrieved that send feedback, which is kind of the point you're making yeah. last week. As a basketball referee and a referee coach and actually a welfare officer, I tell people that happy people don't speak up, only grumpy people. So if you've had some negative feedback, remember how many games uh, how many games you've officiated, she's talking about herself here, and how many people were there. And that means the negative comments are really in a small minority. Uh, the other thing that has stuck with me from philosophy uh, was you would not ask these people for advice, so do not listen to their criticism. Uh, that is true, I guess. I don't know. I mean, we have a lot of doctors in our audience. Maybe I would ask for their advice. <laughs> yeah, Certainly. But on, on medical issues, not, not necessarily on podcasting decisions. <laughs> like they're qualified yeah, to be a doctor. They're not qualified to give you podcasting advice. Okay, that is Tofop for this week. Don't forget to go to tofop.com to check out all our other great podcasts. Uh, on Fofop this week, Cam Knight is returning. Uh, that was a, is a really fun chat. It had to do be a little short because I was running off to pick Iona at some point. Um, but we get into a lot of really interesting topics, including Cam's five-year sobriety, which is amazing. Uh, we've known Cam for a long time, and the transformation uh, for him in the last uh, since he quit drinking has been incredible. Um, so that's a good chat. And then Two Guys, One Cup, obviously on the listener app. Uh, this week, it shifts exclusively to the listener app. We've left it on all channels yep. leading up to this point just to get you guys used to it. Um, but now, if you want it, please download the listener app for free and get listening for free. 
And if you want to come and see me do some live stand-up, so my biological show starts at the Melbourne Comedy Festival on Thursday. So uh, Thursday for three and a half weeks, Melbourne International Comedy Festival, Comedy Theatre, Will Logical is the name of the show. I think it's going to be really fun. Uh, Friday night is my press night, so if you're looking for a night to come along, it'll be good to have a big night there because it's obviously a pretty brand new show um, for you know a bunch of reasons and uh, it is going to Sydney and Brisbane last night of the comedy festival I'm doing my improvised show, show what you're talking about Will and I'm also doing my improvised show in Sydney and Brisbane as well I'm sure there'll be other dates to follow at some stage and if you want to support us the best way to do that is at patreon.com slash lots of great bonus content has gone up a brand new everyone relax comic strip uh, we're about to record a bonus episode of Tofop where we answer patreon letters uh, that's just a heap of great stuff, and it is really the best way to support us. Oh, and by the way, if you have signed up at the $20 level, um, for people watching, here is the posters. I'm doing a big <laughs> mail out this week, so we're all up to date on the bonus content. Uh, <laughs> for those who aren't watching, Charlie didn't even actually, it did not actually hold up a poster. He held up a thing you would send out a poster in. Could not, might not be a poster yeah, in right. there at all. Yeah, it's just a, it's budgerigar. I'm actually yeah. running an illegal exotic animal <laughs> business on this side. That's how that's how we're paying for these shows. <laughs> but for now, I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. This podcast is a Tofop production. Head to tofop.com for more. Cool things for cool people.